questions. Um, um, there was a part, and I think it was the first recording that you played for us, um, when Utejaniya was talking about depression, and um, he was saying something like, put fear in a box. I mean, did I hear that correctly? Um, I don't remember that part. Well, anyway, um, burdens. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and he talked about asking himself why he wasn't happy. And I just wanted to hear the story um, on, on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I've heard the story a couple of times, but... Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, he he was apparently fairly depressed. Um, I mean, it was it was a pretty major part of his life, and he did manage to use the meditation, use the practice to work himself out of it. And something about that, uh, the the recording that we listened to the other day, I remember something about him saying it was only when he got interested in it that it really began to shift. So it was the actual interest in the depression, the willingness to be with it. And that's been my experience with difficult patterns. I haven't had the deep depression, but I've had (laughs) self-hatred. And it was finally the willingness to meet it each time it came. And, And actually that willingness to meet it was a slow process of even getting to that point. Um, there was a number of kind of steps that uh, allowed me to get to that point. Um, and, it, you know, I, I can't speak for Sayadaw, but with something that strong, often it's kind of a staged thing. It, 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 go, it comes over time and there's, it feels like we've, we have some understanding and then it feels like we get drawn back into the pattern in full. And then there's a little bit of understanding and then we get drawn back into the pattern. Um, so it's, it's definitely a, a staged thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything more specific you'd like to ask. Um, well, you know, one of the, um, it seemed like one of the, the questions that sort of asked in the books and in the talks and stuff is, well, you know, is there anything that you can do to affect awareness? You know, like, and um, I noticed that when you ask a question, you know, um, and when you show interest, that seems to heighten awareness. Yes, yes, and it give does. You more Gives you more strength to the awareness, essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and it's partly because um, uh, it strengthens the the interest, strengthens the capacity of the mind to be um, kind of a detached observer or a non-involved observer. Kind of like we ask that question and the mind gets interested in uh, exploring that thing. Um, I remember it was my first three-month course. And, you know, I hadn't, hadn't heard about Tejaniya's teachings at all, but um, I was feeling it was the transition time between the two retreats, between the first half, second half of the retreat where the teaching team shifts and... Um, I was feeling abandoned <laughs> by my teacher and not sure that I'd be allowed to see Joseph continued on and I was just feeling so sorry for myself, just, you know, kind of wallowing in that. Um, and, and this is kind of an example of a staged approach to it, you know. It, so there was that that wallowing in and then it's like, okay, you know, wallowing is happening, you know, you know, maybe I could, and and the first movement was to realize I felt like I was four years old, and, um, you know, how would I respond to a four-year-old that felt abandoned and, you know, sad and wallowing in that, And, and I would feel compassion, and so there was that sense of compassion for that part of me that felt that experience, and, and I was hanging out with that, and then, something in the mind got interested in that, that feeling of wallowing, that feeling of um, abandonment itself. 
And, and it was like a question rose up in the mind. Well, what is it anyway? And it wasn't a question I intentionally, like I, I brought my intention to ask. It was a spontaneously arising question. What is that anyway? And there was an, a kind of a turning to look at that. And in that, the whole pattern just vanished. And it was, um, it was so striking. Actually, I thought I'd made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, I must not know how to observe emotions. That was the thought that arose in my mind. And so I reported it to Carol when I got my next interview. And, and she said, well, was that your experience, that you don't know how to observe emotions? I said, no, my experience was that it just vanished into thin air. She said, trust your experience. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that interest, that, you know, that bringing that interest... Um, does heighten the awareness. Um, so um, you can bring that questioning in deliberately, and that can that can help to heighten the awareness. But Asayada often says, you know, the questions that arise spontaneously are the most powerful ones. So keep keep exploring questions, and you know that this is this is an interesting piece because. <laughs> I think with a lot of our training, um, you know, if questions were to arise, you know, it'd be like note thinking, you know, <laughs> let the let the thought go. But Sayadaw encourages us to recognize whether the the thought or the question is skillful, and you know, kind of allowing it to uh, to support the investigation. So some of those the questioning can occur just a spontaneous. Um, Almost as a as a um, a verbalization of the interest that is already present. So there's a kind of an interest that's there, and the mind expresses that quality of interest as a question. There's such no, much more of an emphasis, as you just said, on yes, there's a question, then go on to your, back to your practice, back to your practice. Um, do you, are there a lot of teachers in the East that are teaching in this way? Or was Shui Min one of the first to ever do it? Because it's in the, the uh, Abhidhamma, right? It's in the Satipatthana Sutta. You told me some of this, I think, in the past. So why is it taking so long to get taught more here or there? <laughs> is it taught there? Whatever. Um, Something like that. You know, well, let's see. That first question of, yeah. is it taught more um, in, in Burma? or? Um, and, you know, I don't actually know how Shui Umin taught. He did teach with questions, Shui Umin Sayadaw, because Sayadaw Uteshaniya talks about, you know, basically... You know, he'd go to his teacher and, you know, he'd be reporting something and his teacher would, the, the, the instruction that his teacher would give him would be in the form of a question. You know, so, so why do you breathe in? And then he'd say, go, go find the answer, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I know that Shui Yumin Sayadaw taught with that as a, as a kind of a, an emphasis. I think Tejaniya has his own spin on it. I don't think he teaches exactly the way his teacher taught. Um, and uh, as far as I know, um, I don't know that there's a lot of other um, teaching schools, teaching lineages that have this emphasis so much. Um, although it's interesting, actually, um, Tanisaro Bhikkhu is, is bringing up this uh, point that the Buddha was basically a, a skillful questioner. You know, that he wrote a, a whole book called Skill and Questions that uh, highlights this is a way the Buddha taught. You know that the use of questions is a way the Buddha taught. So I think it is part of the way the Buddha explores things. I mean, if you if you look at the suttas, whole um, conversations are question answer dialogues. Um, Sometimes they're rhetorical questions that the Buddha asks and then answers himself. 
Um, but there, there's, a, there's a lot of emphasis on questions, and as Tan Jeff points out, there's an emphasis on looking at which questions are skillful and which questions are, you know, just put those aside, like, like the question of, you know, um, is there a self? The Buddha put that one aside. So there's the... So there's that there's that that use of questions, and I think the other thing I've mentioned is that the Buddha does suggest the use of reflection, the use of bringing wisdom in. You know, he he says we should see things um, as they are, as not me, not mine, not who I am, and and that's a kind of reflection. You know, bringing that in. It's like we can't just decide to see things as not self. You know, as not me, not mine, not who I am. We can't just decide that, but. So my understanding of that is that's bring the perspective of in, in. This is not not mine. This is just an object, essentially. That's you know kind of Utejaniya's language for that. This is just an object. So um, you know the reason why it's not come here before is because this lineage is relatively new to the West through Utejaniya, um, and. Um, Mahasi Sayadaw didn't teach this way, and his followers and didn't teach this way, and um, the first Westerners that went to the East studied with other people. Now, I don't know how Ajahn Chah taught. I mean, he has a much more open style in a way, I think. Um, so people who've practiced in that lineage and meet this teaching say there's a lot of resonance between what Ajahn Sumedho teaches and what Utejaniya teaches. And I think also there's some resonance between what Utejaniya teaches and some of the Mahayana teachings. Um, you know, the emphasis on awareness is is very much in the Mahayana teachings. Now there are some differences, you know, I'm not going to say they're the same, but mm-hmm. but there are some definitely some resonances there. So it's now I thank you. I'm just sort of curious about that. You said something to me in an interview which made perfect sense when you said it, and then when I thought about it, I realized that it actually didn't make any sense whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Almost, by construction, contradictory and meaningless. (laughs) But it still made perfect sense, anyway. And and I've been trying to practice with it, and it's clear to me that it does make perfect sense. But I just would like a little bit more clarity about... So tell me what it is. (laughs) We were talking about the the times when I become aware that I'm not mindful, that I'm not applying any kind of effort whatsoever in the direction of mindfulness, and I really don't want to. Um, And so those... So I said, you know, by definition, those moments are extremely brief. And you said that actually your experience is that if you can sort of say, this is the mind not wanting to practice, yes. that there was, the, the specifically what you said was, when the mind is truly, a, with, is, is aligned with what is truly happening, then, and you used a word I've been thinking about how to write it, which is, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure how to write that word. <laughs> if someone writes down your teachings, they're going to have to figure out how to do that. <laughs> and, and so here's my experience it is that quite frequently when I have a you know the moment when I you know I've learned it as you realize you've been wandering it you teach it as you discover that you're aware <laughs> um, there's a there's this there's this old habit that even if I'm not turning towards a specific object, I have some idea of what there is to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Some idea. It may be completely vague and inchoate, but there's some idea that what should happen next is thus and so. You should be aware of whatever it is. Often it'll be whatever's coming in through the eyes, I'll think to myself, well, it ought to have something to do with that. And so it seems that there is actually some action that I can take, some skill that I can develop to, to not do that, to sort of see myself doing that and not do that, and then actually investigate 
what is what is actually the what is the mind I don't know if it's what is the mind actually interested in mm -hmm. what is the mind actually doing some flavor yes, of yes. what you phrased as what is truly happening yes and when I can nail that then <laughs> <laughs> yes but what is going what am, what am I what's the doing what what so how, how does one do that? What is, yeah, <laughs> well, what is being done? well, I think partly, I mean, as, as I've said, you know, it's not so much that it's a doing, but that conversation we had opened your mind to the, I mean, essentially what I was trying to point to is that you had a belief that by its very nature, that moment of recognizing that you didn't want to be mindful would be very brief, and that that was just a belief. And so I was, I was trying to uncover or, or point to that belief and say it's not necessarily so, actually. You know, that, it, as I said, in my experience, when um, the mind connects with, that's another way to say it, connects with what, is, what it is naturally already attending to, that's another way to put it, when it connects with what it is already aware of, when it connects with what it's already interested in, um, so as I, the, another way to look at it is looking at the factor of attention that when we become aware, in that moment of becoming aware, there is something that the mind is already <coughs> attending to. And what, we, what tends to happen is that in that becoming aware we think, as you said, oh, I need to pay attention to X or Y or Z. And often that's, you know, either slightly askew from what is actually already being paid attention to or really diametrically off of that and in that movement to try to bring our attention to something that the mind is not already paying attention to there's a conflict and that um, so what I have found is that that conflict goes away when the mind can connect with just oh this is what's actually happening right now and how one does that um, I think partly it's the investigation to that movement to direct the attention. And we can't stop that. That uh, it's a habitual pattern, right? It's something that um, um, we've practiced a lot of. In fact, it's been encouraged. So it's very natural that it would come up when we return into the present moment. It's like, okay, what do I do now? Oh, back to the breath, or pick an object, pay attention to something. Um, and I'm just suggesting to, um, so you could notice that. Notice that inclination to direct the attention. And it may be happening that the mind directs the attention. If there's, And you may feel that kind of pull or tug, or sometimes that not wanting to practice arises out of that you know, not being aligned with what's actually, the mind is actually already paying attention to. It's like, you're trying to do something, and the mind goes, uh-uh, <laughs> that's not what's going on, you just don't have a clue. <laughs> um, so when there's that pull or tug, you might be able to let go of that directing of the attention, and then Steve Armstrong said that Sayadaw Utejaniya gave him the instruction once, just wait and see how long it takes awareness to find you, or how long it takes for it to become, another way to put it, might, how long does it take for it to become, um, for, for there to be a sense of what is already happening. So just waiting, you know, not choosing to direct the attention, but kind of be willing to sit in that space of, I have no idea what the mind is paying attention to, but can I just hang out for a moment and see if that becomes more clear. And um, one of the things that sometimes it's actually already clear, like that not wanting to practice mind state. For me, that was a great relief when I recognized, oh, that's just another mind state. So not wanting to practice is happening. And what we think we're supposed to do, we wake up, we recognize, oh, not wanting to practice. Oh, let me direct my attention somewhere so I can start practicing. And it's just, no, you're already practicing when you notice not wanting to practice. And in that noticing not wanting to practice, the mind is aligned with the truth of what's happening, and it can be very easy to be in that place. So we just know, oh, not wanting to practice. Okay, <laughs> that's what's happening right now. Does that, does that make sense? Or? It, it does. And the, 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 it, 
one of the things you just said was to actually invest, I think, to actually investigate in a very hands-off way, sort of waiting to see, but with, a, with an interest, an investigative yes. spirit of, of what is the mind actually up to. Yes, yes, and that's a good question. What's the mind actually up to? I like that question. <laughs> it's sort yeah. of like, you, you know, the, the dad who walks into the room with all the kids and just doesn't get what they're doing. <laughs> Dad, that's not what we're doing at all. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, Joanne, yeah. Um, just uh, continuing on that, oftentimes when I have been lost or I'm in a state of mindlessness, awareness, um, I've been in thought. Is it, is it possible that in that lost in thought that there's, I don't know, some feeling aspect or some, I think as I told you at the, the last interview that I'm starting to have this, this turn into this cozying up to the thought, not to the content of it, but sort of the kinesthetic mm-hmm. feeling of it. So I don't quite well, I guess the hear question the question. Is, you know, is, is something about what the mind is already attending to kind of interrupt in that? Mm. Not the content of it, but there's like there's a, you know, there's either pleasant or unpleasant <coughs> that is happening there, or, you know, there's a vedna that's there, there's physical responses that are happening, I, I'm imagining. Um, but this is, I, I'm, I'm not sure, um, you know, it's an interesting thought, at least what I pulled out of your question was like, like, when we're lost in thought, it does seem to me that when we're lost in thought, there is something the mind is paying attention to, but we're just completely unaware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, attention is a, a kind of a factor that's always present. It's not consciously directed attention but it is a factor that's always present. And so there's something that the mind is always paying attention to. And I actually think this is part of the way we actually get lost in thought. At least I've seen in my own experience, one of the ways that the mind leaves the present moment is that I'm chugging along, being mindful, you know, noticing what's happening, aware of what I'm paying attention to, etc. You know, that's all going along. And then uh, the mind starts noticing something else. But I've got this agenda going. This is what I'm paying attention to. I'm noticing feeling in the body or whatever. And, and the mind has started getting interested in something else. But my agenda has me still thinking, okay, we're paying attention to thoughts. And because the mind has kind of already started paying attention to something else, um, that's a that's a place, and we're not seeing that it's paying attention to something else. That's a place where the mind goes out and gets lost in thought. So, for example, um, paying attention to, um, you know, body sensations, um, what's going on, um, feelings, emotions, moods, etc. And then a motorcycle goes by. And the mind, part of the mind is attending to that sound of the motorcycle. But at some level we can be kind of Unless we're in really open awareness and recognizing, the mind is recognizing the motorcycle. You know, if we if we kind of have our blinders on or our our um, our circumscribed idea of what we're paying attention to, when some other experience floats in and the mind is naturally attending to it, that's a place where we can just ride the the mind will just ride that experience right out of the present moment. It's like motorcycle. Oh, motorcycles. And, you know, just don't start thinking about motorcycles. And then, you know, we wake up a minute later thinking about being down Skyline, you know, 10 miles. <laughs> there we are. So, um, so that is an interesting place to notice, you know. The, uh, and, and I've talked about that in terms of where does the mind lose awareness, you know. That's kind of the exploration that I've seen in my own practice, and a, a number of different um, flavors of that, 
of the mind picking up on something else. Sometimes it's a more subtle object that the mind's picking up on. The mind has kind of naturally gotten interested and I'm paying attention to the breath and I know what the breath feels like and the mind has gotten interested in some more subtle aspect of the breath and then the mind wanders because uh, I had this idea or agenda of what the feeling was and couldn't quite follow the uh, natural attention to what it was picking up on. So there's there's all kinds of ways to explore this. Mm-hmm. Oh, just one more comment. Uh, sometimes I'll note an entertainment quality. So the mind wanting perhaps more energy. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yes, and that's an interesting thought too, yes, to, to explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think I talked about, you know, in a place where the mind loses awareness for myself, um, like I was noticing the mind kind of drifting into this spaced out place at breakfast, and then realizing, oh, the mind actually needs some rest. And um, and that when I could just follow the mind into that place and take the rest mindfully, you know, <coughs> allow it to do that, then that rest refreshed the mind, and the mind came out of that rest and then was naturally aware. So something like that could also happen with those entertaining thoughts. You know, there, there may be, it may be a strategy that your mind uses to bring up the energy. It, you know, lost in thought can be a strategy the mind uses to avoid things or, you know, so, um, so yeah, looking at that, you know, when you wake up, of course, because you can't do it when you're lost, but, <laughs> but when you wake up, this is, I sometimes talk about this you know, when I wake up into something, um, this feels like an energetic exploration to me. Uh, at least that's the way it's happening at this point. Um, that when I wake up into something, there's there's a kind of a natural energy that's happening associated with that thing. Defilements often have a pretty strong energetic quality. And if you catch them at the beginning, sometimes it feels like, um, you know, it sometimes feels like the the um, racehorse has just just been set free. You know, <laughs> the, the, the horse is just charging out of the barn, and it's like it, there's a strong feeling of that energy. And if the mind can, I, I sometimes have talked about it as leaping onto the back of that horse. You know, just leap onto the back of that horse and not try to stop the horse but just ride it it's like the the mind can then be energized by that energy of that experience and the mindfulness gets stronger by it's like the mindfulness can can um, co-opt the energy of the defilement for skillful means for skillful purposes so that's a that's an interesting exploration for me it is a very much an energetic kind of exploration you know there's this kind of arising burst of defilement that has an energy it's like whoo allow the mindfulness to rise with it and then the mind the mindfulness can um, be nourished by that energy the energy itself is neutral so it can be taken one it can be taken into the wholesome realm and so it's kind of like an Aikido move, you know, the, the Aikido, you have somebody coming at you with hostile energy, and it's like you just learn how to, to redirect that energy to your benefit. So it's a very similar kind of feeling in the moment. And it kind of feels like a quarter turn, you know, just like, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so in that quarter turn, excuse me again. For well, finish, finish okay, the... Just, the yeah, so let's... in that quarter turn, there is... Uh, I would almost see it as rather than trying to let go of the content and push the energy down, it's letting the energy continue and just going, oh, content, don't need to ride that, let's go for the energy. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, it's, it's that kind of feeling. Yeah, it's not the content, it's the energy. And and we, we have to kind of trust that our mindfulness can meet that energy um, and not get pulled back into the defilement. So it's it's a it's a skillful means to recognize when we can make that action, take that action of allowing the mind. It's like allowing that leaping back on the back of the wild horse and trusting that we can stay on for the ride and eventually um, bring that wild horse into some kind of 
more natural or slower gait, perhaps. <laughs> so there's that um, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Hang on a moment. Um, please, please wait, Marilyn. Right. I would like to try Just to regain you my give an example of it, and then I thought of one myself. Uh, an example of what I was talking about? Okay. Of um, writing the energy. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you if my example was correct. Let, let, me, let me see if I can think of this other thing I, I lost track of. Oh, the skillful means, I think, that the discernment around uh, when that's possible and when the mindfulness is, can get swamped by that energy and just get pulled back in to, uh, um, to the defilement, essentially. So, yeah. And then an example... Um, it, they're very brief examples in my experience. It's a lot of this seems to happen when I'm taking a walk. You know, I'm taking a walk and suddenly there's some burst of a thought and the, the mind arises and, well, that shouldn't be. And then immediately the mind is there. It's like the, one of the benefits of long practice and practice. In this style, I think, uh, and I think some of you are starting to, to see this, that um, um, suffering becomes a mindfulness bell. You know? So almost as soon as the mind creates that explosion of, well, they shouldn't laugh. It's like, oh, mindfulness. <coughs> so it's, it's like the mind catches it early, and it's like the mind is riding that movement of the burst of the volcano, that energy of the burst of that aversion. And in that... Um, and it's got a strong momentum. That arising has a strong momentum. So it's not that, that, the, that the mindfulness immediately like goes, it makes it go poof, but it, the mind can, can, can ride that. It could be like riding a volcano, too. It's like just the mind can, can connect with that, and then, um, then the mindfulness gets strengthened by the very energy that was behind the defilement. Could I give an example sure. and see if it's what you're talking about? Okay, I'm sitting peacefully doing something, maybe putting on a sock or deciding to take a nap, and suddenly the thought comes into my head, you have an appointment. You're supposed to see the doctor in 15 minutes or, you know, whatever. In other words, you've forgotten that something was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Is that an example? And, and so what happens is you immediately drop what you're doing and and use a lot of that, I don't know, the energy is there to make what you forgot, you know, I mean, to get there in time. Is that well, that's, what um, I'm thinking of? Well, it's, it's um, that's in a way that, that um, it's, it's related, except the way that I'm speaking about it is more directing that energy into the practice as opposed to into accomplishing a goal. I don't quite understand the urgency of of that because to me urgency means I've forgotten to do something important or uh, neglected to, I don't know, it could be whatever, like medicine, I'm supposed to take a pill at a certain time, mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of an energy thing. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh -huh. I, small things in a way, uh -huh. just mostly forgetfulness and then recalling you're supposed to do something but I guess that's not what you're well it's it's I think it's in the in the in the terrain of what I'm talking about mm -hmm. um, um, and an interesting thing for you to explore in that kind of place and again not do it forget the doing <laughs> but just the possibility in that coming into because that's a kind of a coming into awareness and there's an energy behind mm -hmm. that recognition oh I've forgotten yeah. now that energy can have a, a, a lashing quality oh you've forgotten again or it can or we can um, allow the um, the awareness to be yeah. kind of move on to it. it's like oh right. you've forgotten okay let's 
take that action. And it can be more neutral or, or more just like, yes, this needs to happen. And there are definitely in daily life things like that. We, we need to do things, recognize things. And so there's also the possibility in that, um, recognizing that, that, that mindfulness is, is happening as you're doing that task. And so, so mindfulness has come in to help you recognize, oh, I've forgotten that thing. And so the energy can come in to, to the doing of it, mm-hmm. and the mindfulness can also be nourished by that mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. So that it's not that we just do it, like that we just do it, but that there is the awareness of that doing at the same time. So that that, that energy can be strong enough to... Um, to nourish the mindfulness so it doesn't feel like it's a lot of, you know, a big weight that we're picking up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to do mindfulness. Because there's a lot of energy already there, mm-hmm. and the mindfulness can ride that. When you were talking about um, the other matter just before this, I thought, <clears throat> there are, uh, well, the, I thought of many examples of, of um, being uh, Focused or uh, or uh, paying attention to something, and for quite some time, knowing that something else was calling for you. Uh-huh. For example, you're looking at a magazine and uh, you put something on the stove, and uh, actually it's starting to come to a boil out there, or even maybe burn something up, but you're still interested in this. So for some time. Uh, that's calling your attention, and then mm-hmm. finally you go over to <laughs> and, that. And this happens just all the time with, with me. Securing, being occupied with something, but knowing something else is going on that usually <coughs> may need my attention, uh-huh. or I don't know yet, but I'm more interested in this, you know. So it's like those two things. And that's what, what you were saying before reminded me of. But I'm not sure that's what your intent was. Um, I think my intent was um, in the the noticing. Um, my my intent in exploring that was in in finding ways, or let's see, supporting there to be more ease in the mindfulness itself. Because when we're um, uh, when we're paying attention to something that's not what the mind is naturally paying attention to, it can feel like a struggle. And then when the mind kind of can come into line with what it is naturally paying attention to, it's more like, ah, oh, ease, that, that there's, um, there's an ease there. And so in the example you gave, in a way, it's the mind... Reversed. Yeah, it's reversed, exactly. <laughs> You know, if the fire alarm was ringing. <laughs> well, when the fire alarm rings, you get you get interested in that. <laughs> yeah, Tanya. Um, so I'm thinking about what you're talking about and the energy and the um, arising of a defilement. And I feel like, um, I, you know, I have this thing in me that's going, truth. There's this part about truth, clear seeing, that is a critical component, and I don't know if I'm like, is that energy is a completely separate thing, but to me it's like mindfulness gets the energy because it sees truth. Mm-hmm. And it only keeps the energy as long as it continues to see the truth. The defilement gets the energy, and I'm depleted um, if I am consumed by it. Um, so I keep energy, mindfulness keeps energy if I'm seeing clearly. If I lose my clear seeing, I lose my energy. Um, I think that's, that's I, I don't know that I'd say it exactly that way, but it sounds, um, I think the part about um, the mindfulness getting the energy from an arising defilement when it sees the truth, yes. Now, in terms of uh, losing the energy, um, when consumed by the defilement. Sometimes I find consumed by defilement whips up energy. Uh-huh. Like yeah. anger, for instance, you know? But not mindful. It's not, right, it's not the, it's, it's it's not the, it's not the energy of uh, skillful awareness. It's the energy of that ramp, uh, let's say a raging bull. Yeah, exactly. That has no control, has no, 
and and we can end up feeling exhausted by that because you know it's just charging around and uh, you know because I think it's easy to start to see the truth get energized and then get lost again Oh yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and then find yourself like back in that sort of. Yes, it's a it's a it's a process. You know, we we have moments of seeing the truth, and then delusion comes back, and we're lost in defilement again. And then we wake up again. Thank goodness, that unprompted ri- mindfulness rearises, and there's another opportunity to see where we are at that moment. So yes. It, it it keeps it keeps going. Um, James. Um, this afternoon, I was having uh, the experience of um, you know of feeling briefly like I was uh, like I was aware. I was aware of exactly what was happening, and then realizing there was a subtler level, uh, you know, on a subtler level that was. Some kind of clinging, and then beyond that, then there was a still more subtle level. And then I was you know, listening to, to Dan's question and some of the questions that followed. And I was thinking of, um, you know, Tejaniya's um, axiom of meditation is simple. You know, it's not simple, it's not meditation. And I think, I think that's, a, you know, that's a very wise um, injunction. And I can see the awareness itself is very simple. Yes. And yet, this process is not simple. I mean, there's a reason he's written three books. There's a reason, you know, we're having these very complex conversations. Objects are really complicated. (laughs) The mind mind itself, the movement of the mind, is very complicated. And so, it's like... Yes, there's a lot of complexity in the mind. The, The awareness itself really simple. Mm-hmm. That simple awareness can know the complexity and understand it. So it's not, it's not that we become mm-hmm. stupid, actually. I think we, be, we become much more clear. I, I agree, but it seems like the process is not necessarily this, that simple. Like the awareness itself is very simple, uh-huh. but the process isn't. Well, there, I mean, the, the, it, there's truth to that because um, when the mind can connect with that simple awareness, it is simple. Yes. And yet there's all kinds of things that we need to understand, discern, when the mind can't be there. You know, when, when there is defilement coming and the mind is like getting trashed about by the defilement, there are strategies to bring in. And so... Um, you know, the first strategy is always, can I just simply be aware of that? And if that works, that's, that's the, uh, you know, that's the optimal approach in a way. If the mind can be simple with complexity, simple with difficulty. But there are strategies that we need to use. And mm-hmm. um, um, so, so my, my own, um, kind of phrasing of this, as I said this morning, is if it's complicated, it's just something to observe. But there are, I, and I have to do, I do have to say that there are times where we, we may have to bring in tools, you know, strategies to balance the mind out so that it can be at that simple place. Yes. Yeah. And, and the understanding of the subtleties of using those tools, what tool, how much to apply, how much effort. Um, don't, don't, don't get too complicated around that, actually. It's not that I, this is more kind of a meta question, and it's like, it's not that I'm struggling with it that much, uh-huh. but it's, it's more like noticing it, that that's the way it is. Um, and especially with that subtlety, like being aware of greed arising and identifying it, and then without you realizing it, within a, you know, less than a second, you're um, identified with the fact that you've, you know, that you've got it. And that you've seen it, yes. Yeah, there's greed coming up, <laughs> yeah. you've seen greed, and it's, it's so quick and so subtle. Um, 
There's something that you said that prompted something. It's gone. I have to stay gone unless I think of it later. I may, I may think of it. Can I ask you about skillful and unskillful thoughts? Um, let's um, see if there's somebody else who hasn't sure. asked a question today first. I think, Len, did you have your hand up? Craig, Craig. Yeah, well, I just want to, I don't know if I should share what I just went through with you, but I'll, maybe I'll just talk to you later, but it is interesting when you say the complexity. I just had a very mindful experience of, of breathing for a person that was dying uh, uh, on the trail, and I don't know if he lived or not, um, but uh, anyway, all the, the week of um, uh, mindfulness training really uh, I arrived one minute after he fell over, two other bicyclists arrived, and nobody wanted to put their lips on this dying man's lips. <coughs> so I did, and, um, and uh, you know, we did the best we could. And, but, uh, so anyway, it really puts into perspective uh, a lot of this, and cutting to the chase and, but I did see that I just you know I did what I needed to do as best as I could do it and I put away the aversion of this guy's bodily fluids coming out of his mouth and and just did what I you know had to do so mm -hmm. anyway it'll be uh, I debated whether to share that in here but I really felt like this is my little community right now and I, even though I, we're not talking I share uh, that because it's uh, it was kind of an interesting little adjunct to uh, this two-week retreat. And how are you right now? Oh, I'm um, having a hard time staying connected to the, you know, to the conversation, but, mm -hmm. but I am because it's, it's, it's all relates, but I just felt how intense and in the moment that was and that the mindfulness allowed me, I was very calm during that whole thing, and I was directing people uh, at the beginning because they didn't, they didn't want to, they were deluded. I said, this man has had a heart attack and he's going to die, we've got to get going. So, But uh, uh, I guess it's really trying to decide how to deal with this, you know, just, I just going to watch my emotions. Watch the, the feeling. Watch the Be feeling. with the feeling. There are feelings. Be and with the not feelings. All there, so. Yeah. So just be with your experience, and this is a great example. I mean, sitting in here, hearing the, the questions and whatnot, um, what's actually happening is that your body and mind are processing that experience, mm -hmm. and that's very appropriate that your mind is that your mind is doing that. That's all I can see. That's right. So don't fight to stay with mm -hmm. the conversation. No. Be with the, the experience. Mm -hmm. I would say in a in a in a large way. You know, mm -hmm. in a a gentle way, allowing as much as possible. I, I would not encourage a zeroing in no, kind of thing, no. but just settling back and being with, as you can, mm -hmm. what's happening. And, you know, it may be that words waft by, that yeah. suddenly like, oh, that, that resonates with what's happening now, and that, that's fine, you know. But to not try to follow the train of the conversation. There's a natural wisdom that knows what to do. That's right, right. So intuitive... <laughs> That's the word you're looking for. That was that was that was what I was looking for right. before. That um, you know to to trust intuition mm -hmm. around what's appropriate, not to necessarily. Um, I mean, the intuition gets stronger and better over time, in terms of what to do, how to how to engage with difficulty. Um, but that's a that's a good exploration. You know, not not to think about it so much, but more to bring in intuition around how to to move forward. And Marilyn, I'm going to uh, take other people first. Well, so. I heard three guys on the, my trail when I was out talking about what he's talking about, and I wondered, I don't believe I'm supposed to talk with him about it. Yes, that's right. So Please. that's why yes. I'm talking about it out loud now, because if I don't, I might want to take Steve aside and give him more information. <laughs> Because there were three 
guys wearing helmets looking very official on bikes down the trail when I was walking, all talking about this guy who had an attack up there and what was going on. So I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have a sneaky way of not talking about it. <laughs> no, I'm not supposed to, but if I hadn't said that, I would probably try to talk about it or write him a note, which would be even worse. <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. Lynn. <laughs> uh, It feels strange to ask another question at this point. Um, I'm wanting to give Craig more time. No, no, I'm her. fine. That's Absolutely. That's, I'm just, couldn't be in a better place to have something like that happen. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thank you. So you were talking about, you mentioned the word intuition. It seems like we've been talking about relaxed mind a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, feels like when my mind relaxes, it allows intuition yes. to come up, or I'll try to remember something like a word, and then my mind relaxes and it, it, it allows it to yes. come up. Yes. Um, my question was about kind of wandering stuff. Um, well, two things. It seems like um, in listening to talks, like listening to you talk, um, I'm having to, I'm using one-pointed concentration, um, I think, and my experience of the, the week is that I'm able to be more one-pointed and following your a talk than I usually am. Mm -hmm. um, and the question is that when so when we wander, you know, you, you when you were talking with over the, um, a couple of minutes ago. Seems like some of the things that we wonder about, we wonder to, maybe that's the, the thing to then be mindful of. So that's, that, I'm, I'm kind of puzzling with that. I'm not sure uh -huh. what the question is. Uh -huh. But I mean, it might even be something, I mean, you, you might be taking a walk and know you're going to give a Dharma talk and something might pop up and you go, oh, about the Dharma talk, so you might want to follow that. Or I might be home and taking a walk and something pops up. So it seems like sometimes, that that's the thing to bring mindfulness to. Well, the, 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 I mean, there's a couple different ways my mind is answering that question very quickly. <laughs> so see if I can, see if I can uh, say a few things. Um, it kind of points to Paula's point about skillful, unskillful. Yeah. Um, so when the mind generates a thought, um, you know, to to recognize is this skillful or unskillful. I mean, if it's a thought about the person you were angry with yesterday and it's heading in that direction, not so helpful. Now, it would be helpful in that moment because what's happened is that the mind has has naturally, out of unawareness actually, naturally kind of moved into the terrain of aversion. And there's thoughts around it, and so this was this is my instruction around uh, when you return into thought, notice how it's impacted you. So that is, you know, it's not that you're allowing the content to continue, but you're allow. That's what the mind is naturally already doing and paying attention to. It's already in that sphere of aversive thought, and so waking up into it. It's, it's recognizing, oh, this, this is a version that's been happening. You know, that's, so we recognize the impact that the thinking has had on us. So that's one way to uh, talk about, um, you know, so the mind has wandered. And when we wake up into that, we pay attention to where it has gone, essentially. You know, so it's gone into that terrain. It may have gone into some skillful things as well. And I've seen in my own practice around this. And last year, I think, I was sitting here in the morning and thoughts about the instructions. It was before, it was a sitting before, before breakfast, and the mind was creating reflections about the instructions that I was going to be giving. So, you know, ostensibly skillful thoughts coming up. Mm -hmm. But what I was experiencing was tension. 
and agitation as those thoughts were coming up. And so I recognized this is not skillful thinking. So I let it go and just brought my, the attention to the agitation. So I didn't. I didn't buy into the. I need to. I need to plan the instructions. <laughs> you know that energy of agitation around needing to plan the instructions. I didn't buy into that. I just allowed the agitation and didn't allow it to continue to produce the thoughts, which would ostensibly. I mean, they could have just been coming up more spontaneously, like oh that. Oh yeah, that could be said, and then. Oh, that. Oh, that could be said. So it, it, it can be very different. Um, so it's checking into the skillful, unskillful energy motivation behind the thought. So that's just kind of wandering around your question. Are there any... Yeah, so obsessing could masquerade as something that's skillful. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So you know, noticing the, the quality of tension or ease in the heart and mind around... Um, what is happening? So this this makes me think of Craig here. You know the the thoughts coming up. Perhaps it may feel like they're really present a lot of the time coming up right now. And uh, we you can be with that with an open heart. Now the heart can just be open and seeing those images over and over again. And that's a way in which the body and mind can process that. And it can be that those images come up and there's reactivity and fear and agitation. If that happens, notice the, notice the fear or the agitation. Don't try to push it away. Or, um, so it's, you know, so that, that obsessive thinking can be coming from some of the fear. And it also can just be coming in an open heart. So just being cognizant of, of that. Um, two things. And you may only get one. <laughs> um, then, then the one is just to um, honor the compassionate act that Craig did and also appreciate that you brought it into the room. Um, my heart opened with compassion hearing that, among other things. Do I still have time for a second? If it's, if it's uh, okay. three minutes. We'll find out. <laughs> Um, the conversation that's been moving through the room kind of touches on uh, observation I've been having that's kind of been a question about concentration and its guise as focus. And I've been noticing today in particular a similarity in movement of the mind between focus and craving or greed. Mm. It's not that mm -hmm. they're synonymous, mm -hmm. but there's like this similarity of a very subtle kind of contraction that is happening that feels like in a sense the concentration actually might condition a predilection or one might condition a predilection for the other. I don't know if I'm articulating this very well. I think I understand what you're saying and what I'd um, uh, suggest is that that there's not a tightening with concentration and if there is it's craving mm -hmm. um, and that feeling that they're so close mm -hmm. is because they've been practiced together a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. so my own exploration around this has been, because I do a concentration practice as well, full disclosure here, it's <laughs> not my only practice. <laughs> so when I'm doing concentration practice, and I, I bring these together, the, the open awareness and the concentration practice, I bring them together. And the open awareness practice has taught me what it means to be aware, focused, and clear without that tightening. Um, and so if in allowing an object and allowing the attention to connect with that intentionally, because that's essentially what concentration is, it's the attention directing consciously to an object. If in that movement I see any tightening, I just, I let go. I go back to, 
What does it feel like to be aware of objects without that contraction? And, and then slowly kind of just try again. I may get a breath and a half, feel the tension, and then let go. So just educating my mind on the possibility of attending, having that one-pointed attention without the tightening. It's a, it's a process. It's, um, it must be very ingrained because it is not even a conscious process. Oh no, it's not conscious. Moving, moving inward. It, it's like the, um, the camera angle just moves in and one thing becomes predominant. Well, that, but that, that's, that's different than tightening. Once momentum starts, then there it's the other it's, the other it's the we're other not attending to everything, right? Yes, yes. We're not yeah. another way to play with this is so there's the notion of the camera getting small, right? Mm-hmm. Another way to think about it, which may have a different feeling and does for me have a completely different feeling. It's like okay, so pay attention, breath, you know, I'm looking at this quarter size place right under my stern is like whoop. Tension gets small, becomes contracted, feels contracted, perhaps. Instead of that feeling of attention narrowing, let the object get big. Then the awareness doesn't have to. Ha- I mean, it's it's perception that it's small. Yeah. That that resonates with other moments and experience. Um, so. I'm going to play with this more. I don't feel like I've languaged the question particularly yeah. well okay. either. So. Okay, thank you. For further discussion. So we need to stop. Thank you for your questions.